0: Come, God, now in our hearts, God, the great composer of galaxies, of our own lives. Come, Jesus Christ, the song leader, the worship leader in our midst. Come, Holy Spirit, and tune our hearts to rightly sing the song that you have given us. We ask all this in your holy name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. And if you would like, you can turn in your prayer books to page 397, Psalm 98. Our psalm for the day is where we will be spending our time. The first part of that sentence you can turn to feels very right for my Baptist roots. But then the words prayer book seems very strange, so I'm getting a little bit used to that. But of course, the Psalter takes up the middle of our prayer book just as it, it sits in the middle of scriptures, and it is our hymn book. It is the hymn book of the church, and I'm very grateful to be able to preach out of this beautiful prayer book today. O oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. With his own right hand and with his holy arm, he has won for himself the victory. This new song, this Fresh expression flows forth out of the voice of the poet, this one who has seen something and now must say something, who has beheld the glory of God with his eyes and now must declare this this awesomeness to the world. Most likely what the poet has seen here is the fall of Babylon, Babylon, that beastly nation who, six centuries before the birth of Christ, carried the sons and daughters of the kingdom of Judah away into exile. Babylon, that nation whose name almost immediately invokes the concept of chaos, whom so many people in that time thought there was no way they could ever fall or falter, who were now brought low. And in this moment, the poet sees God's dominion reified, his reign made clear over all the earth. He sees God at work, his dominion on display. It's dazzling, and he has to declare it to all the world. I think many of us will understand this impulse and especially maybe the artists in our midst. I want to talk about artists today, but I want to do so inviting you, even if you say, I don't know how I would qualify under that distinction, to imagine I'm speaking about you. I've been teaching a class on aesthetics to film students this semester. It's been really wonderful, and I love what the author says. He says, the job of the artist, the vocation is to perceive something in the world and then to in her medium clarify and intensify that perception to others. To take what one has seen and then to say something through sculpture or painting, through music and dance, as the poet here asks us to do, indeed through poetry, through film and photography, as I'm telling my students to do, to see something and then say something. It's almost as if it's this natural call and response built into the world itself, as if when we hear God's voice echoing through the canyon, the only possible right response is to answer back. Hello. Hello. In the next verse, we see what it is that the poet has seen. Again, with a view to the fall of Babylon, he says, The Lord declared his salvation. His righteousness has he openly shown in the sight of the nation." He has remembered his mercy and truth to the house of Israel, and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. You know, I am, I perhaps, like some of you, I get a little nervous sometimes when I end up having conversations with people who seem to equate God and country as equal things. When I realize that I'm sitting in a service and I start to squirm because I start to realize that the assumption is that the American flag belongs on the same pedestal as the cross, it gets me really nervous. But I've started to recognize that there is an equal and opposite reaction to this. And it is an assumption that God doesn't really care about nations. And that assumption will run to a core that ends at this idea. God doesn't really care about nations the world. He doesn't care about the material world. He doesn't care about our daily lives, For if he does not care about nations, which matter so much in our daily lives, their their pushes and their pulls, the political world that we live in, if he doesn't care about that, then he probably doesn't care about a lot of other things. Such a God would, of course, never risk entering into covenant with a nation Entering into covenant as he does with Israel, such a God would, of course, never risk the particularity of the incarnation. God does care about nations. Perhaps that shouldn't make us feel immediately good because that means he sees. Perhaps the safest bet is to say, well, we should be grateful for what we know we have been given. And we should sing praise songs of thanksgiving for our provision. But we should be wary, for he cares about nations not only to lift up, but also to bring low. Not Babylon's only, but even Israel's and Judah's. In fact, the exile into Babylon is predicated by Israel and by Judah's own sin. And so I would be wary of living in a world that says God does not care about nations. That idea may have a place in certain spheres, but it does not belong in the scriptures. It does not belong in the Psalms. It does not belong in the sanctuary. God cares about nation because God cares about the world that we live in. But the song leader, the poet, wants to say, look what he has done. He has brought Babylon Lo, this historical event the poet sees God working majestically within. And so he says, not just to Judah, but to everyone. Everyone who's seen what God has done, who's seen Babylon crumble, who's seen them fall. He says, show yourselves joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Sing, rejoice, give thanks. Praise the Lord with the harp, he says. Sing with the harp a psalm of thanksgiving. With trumpets also and horns, oh, show yourself joyful before the Lord. Grab your guitar and start strumming. Pick up your tuba and start marching. Get your feet to dancing. Have you not caught the rhythm of redemption song? Can you not hear it? You better start playing the music. You know, it's interesting, instruments, musical instruments show up in the biblical narrative only after the fall in the garden. Even more so, they're the creation of Cain's descendants. Sort of the wrong side of the track, if you will. And you would think that might mean that they are impossible to be employed in the praise of God. But here we see that they're not only brought in to participate, they lead the march. Is there something in your own life, perhaps, that you think is unsalvageable? something which has its origins in the strongholds of sin or Satan or at least the origins that you can see? Is there some gift, some passion which you've been employing for the wrong reasons that you thought you had to give up when you came into the church? Perhaps you did, or perhaps it is an instrument that needs retuning to join in the glorious, harmonious melody of the people of God, When we come to Christ, we come to an altar, and we must give everything to Him. We must lay it all there. And there are things which, friends, I want you to hear me, God says, leave it and walk away. But there are other things. There are other gifts that He says, take it back up again, knowing that it's not yours If there's something like that in your own life, we have to discern that through the Spirit in community. But I think there's a myriad of things that people often think, I have to let it go when God is saying, no, you have to hold it loosely knowing it's mine. And if those things ever come into our lives, we receive them as a a double portion, as a twice-given gift like Isaac received back from God upon that altar place. The poet moves on. Now we have this picture of the nations, of all peoples, singing this song, marching through the streets. I almost picture it like New Orleans. Everyone's partying. Everyone's in rhythm. Everyone's in tune. And then he moves on and says, Let the sea make a noise and all that is in it. The round world and all who dwell therein. Let the rivers clap their hands and the hills be joyful together before the Lord. Soon, all of a sudden, we see that it is not just people, but the entire creation that's invited into this new song, this majestic, magnificent myriad of creatures from those who swim in the deepest depths to those who soar in the highest heights. All of these are invited into this chorus, and not creatures alone as we mostly think of them, but the soil and the stone are caught up in this great chain of praise. The, the river dashing upon the rocks provides the rhythm, and the wind blowing upon the grass on the hills carries within it a hidden melody. Again, I think artists will understand the world seems to be saying something, and we have to call back to speak back to it. But not artists alone, but all of us. All human beings who were given the priestly task, who were given at the outset of creation the care of God's world. That is who we are. They were handed this haven, and they were not told merely don't screw it up. No, they were told make something of it. Make a thousand things. Why not a million things? Build buildings, plant vineyards, paint murals, dig ditches to divert streams, and design dances to display your joy. Fill the earth with my image. Be fruitful and multiply, not only through procreation, but recreation. Extend the boundaries of this garden. Go to all lands once held in the grips of chaos and cultivate and call out. See what God has done and join in the work. For we can read this entire psalm in light of the fall of Babylon. We can, of course, read read it in light of what Christ has done. But we can even read it in light of the original creation. For God won the victory over chaos in creating the world. He wrestled the stormy and swelling sea and gave us matter. He has won the war and we get the spoils of his victory. This is the call of our first mother and father. It is our call to hear the song that creation is already singing, to add to it, but also to be the holy harmonizers, to bring that song into into harmony, into melody with each other, to take the song of the swelling sea and to bring it into the rhythm of the rushing river. There's a Baylor professor I've gotten to know a little bit. She's an engineering professor, and I love her so much. Her name is Dr. Annette Von Joan and she's figuring out or working on and has been working on how to take this swelling sea, the oceans falling and rising, the waves, and to harness energy from it. And here's what she told me when I asked her about this project. She says, as an engineer, when I look at the world, I see a divine invitation to come and join in the work of God. That is good news that is good news written into our scriptures from the very beginning, a divine invitation. But you may be saying, well, okay, that's all well and good for engineers or for artists, but what about me? That doesn't fit with who I am. But many of you who have never thought about harnessing the power of the ocean have taken spices and meat and vegetables and and created a singing sound of, of harmony, putting together this savory sensation. Many of you who've ever done any little tiny bit of cooking know what it is like to take these disparate parts of creation and to bring them together, have them speak to one another to create something new. We had the Brazos fellows over for dinner the other night, and there was a pot of soup on the stove, and I swear it was singing a heavenly chorus. And of course, the artist behind that one was none other than my, than my wife. But even if you don't think of yourself as this great cook or chef, the simple act of sandwich making speaks to your priestly capacity. The mere act of taking bread and cheese and putting them together tells the world that you are a priest. Of course, the existence of bread and cheese is one of the greatest testaments to humanity's priestly calling. (laughs) Thanks be to God. God seems to be saying in his creation is saying to us, listen and look, behold what I have done and begin to imagine what this world might become. Sing a new song. Sing a new song. I think he could have said this to Adam and Eve. We often think of something new as something novel, as something that's a rejection of what's come before. But that need not, not be the case. The new song can indeed be a continuation of the work that's already been there, a curation, a cultivation to the musical notes embedded already within the creation itself. So sing to the Lord a new song, God says, through music, through food, through architecture, through a myriad of things. And at the end, he says, at the end, the poet pictures this This concept, this this idea, he says, for he, meaning God, the Lord, has come to judge the earth. With righteousness, he will judge the world and the peoples with equity. He was going to judge fairly. It's so difficult, I think, for you and I not to hear the word judge and to immediately imagine a gavel, words guilty or not guilty being employed condemnation and punishment, and I don't want to deny that those things have their place in the story of Scripture. But if God is unchanging, then God is the judge even in creation. And what kind of judge is that when hell is not on the table, when damnation is not part of the play? Well, it's the judge, I think, like on this episode of the Great British Baking Show that we watched this week, it was the holiday special, so it matters a little bit different because no one's being eliminated, so no one's being cast out into the darkness beyond the tent's walls. <laughs> and so everyone is sort of there, but there's still judges, right? And what do the judges come and say? Guilty, get out, gone. No, 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 the judges come and say, I think you could have used a little more cream. Or, I think you could have used just a little, just a bit more cream. They're inviting. They're not calling out. They're calling up. This is how I imagine God, the judge of creation, walking with Adam and Eve, not taking over the project, but saying, have you noticed, have you noticed that this spice sings with, with this vegetable? Or what if we put in a skylight over there? Or have you perceived how I made the green of the valley speak and collide with the red of the mountains? What could we do with that? And that is the question. Not what could you do with it? Or not what could I do with it? I could do lots of things. I'm God. No, what could we do with it? That is the invitation. Who would not want that? Who would not want the original artist involved in the work? What actor would have William Shakespeare walk up to him and say, "Actually, you know, I meant Mercutio to be played a little more like this." And the actor say, "No, no, no. I'm sorry, Willie. I'm not going to play it that way." Who would reject the original artist's invitation to join him or her in the work? I would. I think you would in fact I think we did I think we have artists if you feel like I've been building you up now comes the truth think about notes not music notes (laughs) notes on the thing you've done you know the word feedback means two things it means here's what I think of what you've done. And it means that terrible noise when the microphone gets too close to the speaker. And with both, my reaction as an artist, as a person, is the same. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. This is why we distance ourselves from one another. Don't speak into my life. I won't speak into yours we will run through our lives on parallel tracks. Everything will be fine. We do this to God just as easily and quickly, if not more so. Dear Holy Spirit, thank you so much for your contribution, your ideas. I appreciate them very much. I'm going to go in a different direction, my own direction. So when I said earlier that rejection need not be part of this new song, that was before rejection had occurred. Now we must reject our rejection, or more to the point, we must accept him who perfectly accepted the will of God in all things. We must place ourselves under this one who never lost the heavenly harmony. We must be in tutelage under the master artist, we, we must join with him in his work and recognize that we are part of his work. And in so doing, we must let go, we must let go of any claim we have to the goodness that we think sprouts up from ourselves. We must recognize that our life is hidden with Christ in God, that He's buried deeply within us and He is slowly but surely coming to life in us and our identity is lost in Him. You know, when we think of the cross, I think we often think of the really hard things in our lives, the difficult decisions, the really, really horrible stuff that happens. And I don't want to deny that Entirely, In fact, I think it's true, and that's one of the joys of preaching two weeks in a row. We we're talking about God and your suffering this week. Now I want to talk about God and your successes. I, had a great, I have a great friend, another professor at Baylor. He's a professor of screenwriting. Named, his name is Brian. And Brian, I'll never forget in our first meeting what he said to me. He was talking to me about, how he got into screenwriting and and he said oh you know I was majoring in uh I forget what it was it was accounting or engineering or business something altogether worthy of a priestly vocation but for him it was just a safe bet it was just it was just the thing he could make x amount of money with and never have to worry too much about this or that and then he took a screenwriting class and he said I felt god telling me I can use that and he said and I immediately thought I knew what he meant I thought I will write stories that have the imprint of the gospel on them. I will be given acclaim. And when I am raised atop the pedestal, of course, I will say a sentence or two about how it was really God who brought me and got me here. God will raise me up so that he can get more glory with me. And Brian says, I think, you know, I don't think God doesn't want those things. And I think, I honestly think God does do those things with Brian and through his work. But he says, here's what I didn't realize what God was saying. He was saying, oh, Brian, will you hold nothing back if you take this road? Will you put your whole self into this task, this vocation? Will you lay it all on the line? I can use that. It sounds like the perfect cross for you. The cross is not just the places where the suffering enters into our life. Perhaps those are the nails, the wounds that hold us there. But it is not the wholeness, the fullness. It is not what God wants us to think about. Take up your cross, we say. Everyone has their cross to bear. No, it means dying to your whole self so that the fullness of Christ might come to bear in you and the world around you. It means burying the old tune so deeply that it is gone so that the new song might take over. If you're wondering right now, what is he talking about? What part of myself is he speaking of? It's the part you hope I'm not talking about. It's the deepest place of your desires, where you can keep singing that old Adam Eve dirge, or you can take up the new song. Father Lee, a few months ago, many of you know I've got a a job at Baylor I transitioned into over the summer. I love my job. It's so great. The things that I'm getting to do I mean, if I could have told myself this last year, right out of seminary, I would have said, you're going to do these amazing things. You're going to have these amazing opportunities. Or you're going to belong to this spectacular church. You're going to be able to do all these wonderful things. I'm just so overjoyed. Thanks be to God. But Father Lee, he told me, and this counsel stuck with me. He said, that's all well and good. But remember, it's not about you, and they don't need you. There's a plaque right here that says, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's what's in front of us every week when we preach. It's not about you. It's not from you. It was this invitation to begin feeling with my fingers the familiar or perhaps forgotten wood of the old rugged cross. So that I'm So that we're not just caught up in all the wonderful things that we're doing, even the things that we say that is a success. What a great victory. What an amazing thing to look out and see all these people here or to know all the wonderful things being done week after week out in the world. That we don't get caught up in that. You know what? I I love preaching. People have been like, thank you for preaching two weeks in a row. I'm like, yes, I love preaching. It's is a great gift. It's a great Opportunity, But, you know, I, I hope I'm not getting in the way. And if so, I hope I can get out of the way. So that I'm not up here singing the Father Matthew song. That old Matt Autry tune. Nobody needs that. Nobody needs it. I don't need it. I want to be done with it. Don't you? Not just with mine, but with yours. Are your hands closed in around it? Thinking maybe, but maybe it's really what the world needs. Maybe, maybe it's, it's exactly, I'm exactly who the world needs and, and the time will come and people will see it and I will be on display and people will know that I am the one they've been waiting for. The world needs Jesus, and he is in you. So can you open your hands, and can you open your ears? Can you hear it? Can you hear the new song? It wants to be sung in your your life this week. It wants to be sung through our church. The choir master of the cosmos, Jesus Christ, wants to turn the entire world into the harmony of heaven. And he wants to begin with me and you to tune us to join in the majestic melody of God. Let's sing the new song.